This Christian McCaffrey love story has to end. It has to end soon because the enthusiasm that is building around Christian McCaffrey right now, it's not rational and it's not sustainable. This is from Rich Rebar on Twitter, at Lord Reeves. Christian McCaffrey is now the 13th running back off the board in MFL 10s. MFL 10s, these are sicko, diehard, hyper-rational players. And they're drafting Christian McCaffrey ahead of Tevin Coleman, ahead of Derrick Henry, ahead of Amir Abdullah. Players with arguably higher ceilings. And in the case of Amir Abdullah, a higher floor as well. So I don't understand this Christian McCaffrey ADP. Rich Rebar goes on to say that Christian McCaffrey's total touchdown over under has been set to seven by Las Vegas sportsbooks. I think that's high. But just 22 top 15 PPR backs over the past decade have scored fewer than seven touchdowns. And there's been just eight that scored fewer than six touchdowns. And I think Christian McCaffrey is going to score between five and six touchdowns. It's not enough. It's not enough to draft Christian McCaffrey in the top 15. It's just not. Now, I love Christian McCaffrey in Dynasty. Please do not get this twisted. I love Christian McCaffrey. He's our number one rookie Dynasty running back. Why is that? Well, because he's a phenomenal football player. We have him top five overall on our Dynasty rankings. Go to playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. And there you can see our rookie rankings. There you can see our Dynasty rankings. And you can also see the season ranks do not align with the Dynasty ranks because Christian McCaffrey is very young. And I believe he will have a long and prosperous career in the NFL. A longer and more prosperous career than any other running back in the 2017 class, including Leonard Fournette. Dalvin Cook and Joe Mixon. But in seasonal leagues, I have Leonard Fournette and Joe Mixon ranked higher than Christian McCaffrey because I believe Joe Mixon and Leonard Fournette will command a significantly higher opportunity share in 2017 than Christian McCaffrey. But I believe Christian McCaffrey has more longevity. Joe Mixon has behavioral issues that become a real problem when projecting his lifetime value in Dynasty. Leonard Fournette is primarily a between-the-tackles grinder with underrated receiving capability. These running backs are used up quickly by the NFL, especially by coaches like Tom Coughlin. But a player like Christian McCaffrey can play out to age 33-34 just like Darren Sproles. And we're discerning about how players age, which is why we have Christian McCaffrey higher in the dynasty rankings than Fournette and Mixon, while having Fournette and Mixon higher in the 2017 redraft rankings. I think this is a rational approach. And again, go to playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. You can see all of our rankings, seasonal, dynasty, and rookie. And it's interesting to compare the season ranks to the rookie rankings. For example, we have Martavis Bryant inside our top 40 wide receivers for 2017. And you would think at age 25, Martavis Bryant would then have to be inside the top 20 on the dynasty rankings because he's still young. But no, because Martavis Bryant is one failed drug test away from being permanently banned from the NFL and he's tethered to a quarterback who projects to have a productive 2017 and may not be back in 2018. So for those two reasons, we are discerning about Martavis Bryant's long-term production and career arc. That's why our dynasty rankings are so popular because we're discerning about how players age and we don't simply plug each player into a fixed career arc position by position, project a lifetime value, and then sort the players and post the rankings. 
Dynasty rankings in particular are a blend of an analytical exercise and a work of art. Certainly more subjectivity goes into the dynasty rankings than the seasonal rankings, and more subjectivity goes into the seasonal rankings than the weekly rankings. The weekly rankings are much more mechanical, much more opportunity-driven than the seasonal rankings, and the seasonal rankings are much more mechanical and opportunity-driven than the dynasty rankings. This makes sense. And the case against drafting Christian McCaffrey and redraft this season that Rich Rebar laid out makes sense to most people. To most people. It didn't make sense to Sigmund Bloom. Yes, our old friend Sigmund Bloom. Hello, folks. Sigmund Bloom. Sigmund Bloom challenging Rich Rebar on Twitter, asking how many receptions did those that made the top 15 average in those years? Rich Rebar responds, 47.5. Yet more questions from Sigmund Bloom. Well, how many receptions did the four players under 200 rush attempts average? And Rich provides an answer, listing Giovanni Bernard and Reggie Bush and Mark Ingram and Fred Jackson, providing reception totals and total attempts and touchdowns for each season to satiate Sigmund Bloom's desire for information. And Rich Rebar provides a list of running backs he would prefer to Christian McCaffrey in 2017. And Sigmund Bloom responds with a fair, but they lack the allure of an unknown ceiling. What kind of fortune cookie gibberish analysis is that? This is why I don't answer questions on Twitter. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're the owner of football guys. Spending my time chasing down stats upon request on Twitter is not something I will ever participate in. And bless Rich Rebar for going through that exercise for all of us, for the community. Rich Rebar, dying for our statistical sins, for our ignorance. Rich Rebar is now hanging on a cross, trapped in an Excel spreadsheet, chasing down stats for Sigmund Bloom, who couldn't be bothered to look the stats up himself. I don't understand this, this need to ask questions on Twitter, especially the Sigmund Bloom brand of question, the contrived open-ended questions. Well, how many running backs do you think have the allure of an unknown ceiling like Christian McCaffrey? I don't fucking know. Why don't you write an article about it? You see this time and time again, the creators on Twitter being dragged down by the takers, by the consumers who just want more. It's not enough for Rich Rebar to lay out his case on Twitter for why Christian McCaffrey's overrated. You have to get in there with your contrived open-ended questions to show the fantasy verse that you're a thought leader. Yeah, don't forget about me. I have something to say about Christian McCaffrey. Well, I actually don't. I just have open-ended questions that make me look engaged and thoughtful. The wannabe thought leaders are a plague to actual content creators and the actual thought leaders in the fantasy football industry because it's heavily weighted on the side of the takers and the wannabes posturing as if they are thought leaders when they have no original thoughts to share because this is not a slight of Sigmund Bloom most fantasy analysts on Twitter are not leaders the true content creators that are contributing original thoughts and ideas on Twitter is a very small minority and the fact is that neither an interesting article nor a clever Sigmund Bloom tweet has ever been brought to my attention. So we can't put Sigmund Bloom in the category of thought leader, creative content creator. You can't. But he sure will posture as if. 
You see that so often on Twitter, the posturing as if with the contrived open-ended questions. But you don't see that from the true thought leaders in the industry. And there are only a handful. I understand. It's a very small minority. And many of you want to be these people, but you're not. You want to be Evan Silva. You want to be Rich Rebar. You want to be JJ Zacharyson. You want to be Kevin Cole. You want to be Sean Siegel. You want to be Matthew Friedman. But you're not. So just read their tweets, read their articles, and enjoy them. Do not bother them with questions just to make yourself look smart. Make it appear as if you're on par with them because you're not. You're just bothering them. You're imposing on them time they could be spending either continuing to write insightful articles or spend time with their family. That's what's so maddening to me when I read tweets from Rich Rebar and then I scroll down and I just slap my forehead and say, Rich, stop being so nice to these people. Don't answer their questions on Twitter. We don't deserve Rich Rebar. He is a gift. But you wouldn't know it based on his title. Rich Rebar is not the owner of football, guys. But there's this assumption of thought leadership that's implied by titles. That's why Sigmund Bloom can expect his questions to be answered on Twitter. But just because you're the managing editor of a site or you're the owner of an enterprise, that does not make you a thought leader. In fact, because you're busy doing administrative things as I am, like me, you probably don't have time to put in significant thought into new fantasy concepts. I'm not a thought leader, and that's fine. That's normal. But I also don't gallivant around fantasy Twitter imposing on others with unhelpful open-ended questions just to make it appear as if I'm on par with Rich Rebar. I am not. This is why I don't respond to questions on Twitter. But I do have one thing in common with Rich Rebar in that my time is valuable. And for that reason, I don't respond to questions on Twitter. And I've told Rich to his face that he shouldn't respond to questions on Twitter. Fuck Twitter. Go look up your own stats. And to all of you with questions about whether or not you should accept a trade or start player X over player Y, go run your own damn fantasy team. But there is one platform where I will answer questions. I'm happy to answer questions to those that I have a quid pro quo relationship with. The true supporters of the show on Patreon. We have an understanding on Patreon. You go to patreon.com, you search Podfather, and you support the show. And on Patreon, we have a community forum where I answer questions and others in the community answer questions. And we don't have to fear being trolled on Patreon because it's an exclusive club of only individuals that love Roto Underworld Radio, that love the Sonic Truth podcast. Those are the individuals that I recognize in this community that I will engage online. Just those people. Those are the people that are carrying this show on their shoulders for the rest of you that are free riding off of this content. You enjoy the show. Oh, you enjoy the hell out of the show. I know you do. You tell me about it. And then when I say, hey, you should support the show on Patreon. Nah, nah. Well, fuck you. Those people are actually supporting the show on Patreon. And they don't bother going to ask me questions on Twitter because they know the people on Twitter are the free riders who don't give a shit. But when we were on vacation for a whole week, the people on Patreon knew I was coming back. I was obliged to come back because they've been supporting me for months. And yeah, I came back with a flamethrower on my back. 
If it were not for them, I would have no motivation to come back. So to the true supporters of the show, I would like to give you a sincere thank you. Your support is what drives this show forward. You're the reason we come back on the air. Because sometimes we don't want to. Nate doesn't feel like talking into a microphone some days. He doesn't feel like being badgered by Matt Kelly. Who would? Some days I don't feel like reaching out to a guest who's been ignoring me to make sure that we can sit down at a particular date and time and talk for two hours so that you all can enjoy it. But it's the community on Patreon that keeps this show going. That's the engine. Everyone that listens to this show and enjoys it should become part of that engine because the more of you that join the community on Patreon, the better this show becomes because it is a true motivational force behind the scenes. And I don't want it to sound like I don't respect football guys. I absolutely respect football guys. In fact, the founder of football guys is someone I look up to, Joe Bryant. Joe Bryant is a true thought leader in the industry. But it's been over 10 years since Joe Bryant wrote his seminal work on value-based drafting. But to this day, we still talk about players in terms of value. And we owe a debt of gratitude to Joe Bryant and football guys for helping to illuminate this idea of positional value. That's real thought leadership. And you won't see Joe Bryant asking contrived open-ended questions on Twitter just to exert some faux intellectual fortitude. Joe Bryant's a great guy. He's someone I have a lot of respect for. He's one of the founding fathers of the fantasy football industry. And I remember reaching out to Joe Bryant early on, right after I started Player Profiler. And he was interested in Player Profiler. He said, wow, this is a cool site. He forwarded an email talking about the site to Sigmund Bloom and copied me. Sigmund Bloom did not respond. I followed up with Sigmund Bloom. Sigmund, did you happen to check out Player Profiler? Do you have any thoughts, questions? Nothing. Nothing. Those with genuine intellectual curiosity always want to learn more about playerprofiler.com. By consensus, those without genuine intellectual curiosity that are just faking it, they're the ones that blow me off and have no problem wasting people's time. And as I mentioned before, our dynasty rankings are not a waste of time. Even those that don't play in dynasty leagues find our dynasty rankings intriguing. Playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. And after you've accessed our Dynasty rankings, downloaded them, let them wash over you, I highly suggest setting up a league on Reality Sports Online. Because Reality Sports Online brings an additional level of sophistication to fantasy football that truly enhances the experience. We recently did a startup auction on Reality Sports Online, and it wasn't a traditional auction. Not only were you bidding on players, you were also bidding on players and assigning a number of years to the contract. Reality Sports has full contract capability, auction drafts, free agent auction bidding for free agents, all of the sophistications that you look for in a Dynasty League platform without the complexity, without having to navigate 50 million settings as a commissioner. That's why I love Reality Sports Online. It was founded and continues to be supported by individuals that worked in NFL front offices. The people at Reality Sports Online are thought leaders as well. They're not writing articles about new draft concepts. They're building revolutionary fantasy football platforms. So you don't need to be a writer to be a thought leader. And if you don't believe me, go check it out. Go to Reality Sports Online now, set up a free trial league, and then when you go to purchase it, use the promo code UNDERWORLD.
Now, one of the thought leaders I mentioned earlier, Kevin Cole, will be joining us today. We need to bring Kevin Cole on and ask him about Christian McCaffrey. Is Christian McCaffrey being overdrafted in seasonal leagues? I say yes, because Christian McCaffrey is competing for touches with an established incumbent, Jonathan Stewart. And Christian McCaffrey's redraft ADP projects him to play a role that has not existed in a Cam Newton offense up to this point. Compare his ADP to Alvin Kamara. Alvin Kamara's ADP is much more rational because Alvin Kamara projects to play a role that we've seen be fantasy viable, the Reggie Bush satellite back role in New Orleans. We've never seen a successful satellite back operate in a Cam Newton offense. So Christian McCaffrey's redraft ADP may be the most speculative ADP of any player in fantasy football for 2017. Let's go ask Kevin Cole what he thinks. Follow him at Cole underscore Kev on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio program. Kevin Cole. Yes, he's back. My pseudo nemesis is back. Kevin Cole, he's a writer for Rotoviz, and he just launched a new project, PredictiveFootball.com. Check it out. Cole Kev, Kev Cole, talk to me. What's going on, Matt? Uh, glad to be back. I, you know what I figured out? I think the listeners appreciated. You don't sound glad. When you would go off on a, a long rant, and then I would just jump in and be like, yeah, you know, I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> that that's right. That's exactly right. They love your snap judgments of my takes. <laughs> Right. That's what the listeners love. They adore the Kevin Cole snap judgment of the Matt Kelly take. You take my takes down as quickly as anyone. I mean, you're like a professional UFC grappler the way that you get me to the ground very quickly. It's like, oh, no, 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 that hurts. That hurts, Kevin. That hurts. Ah, ah, my arm's broken. It's broken. I, li I like to think of it more as refining and building your takes up, not taking them down, building them up. So wait, talk to us about predictive football. What are you doing over there? Well, you know, I've, I've been doing uh, more research on the side where it's, you know, like I said, I got air quotes out here for those who can't see it for, for quote unquote real football as opposed to two minutes in, you've already busted out the air quotes. The air quotes are in real football as opposed to, <laughs> you know, also in the basement. This is still in my mother's basement. So don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not moving out of there. So still in my mother's basement, just like all fantasy football analysts. But uh, this, this is just kind of concentrating on some of those questions that, you know, don't, don't fall in the scope of whether or not a certain person is going to score a PPR top 12 season or not. A little bit beyond that. Well, a little bit yeah, beyond moving that. Moving beyond yeah. that. Moving beyond that. Changing the context a little bit. Spanning horizons. Which we need. We need websites like Predictive Football. One of the recent posts, should a receiver needy team acquire Jeremy Macklin or Eric Decker? And since that post... Jeremy Macklin signed with Baltimore. How does that impact your crush, Mike Wallace, and my crush, Michael Campanato? Yeah, I mean, crush may be a bit of an overstatement. I remember last year, this is one of our things. Oh, you loved him. You we... loved Mike Wallace <laughs> okay. last year. You killed me. I brought up Mike Wallace's inefficiency, and you were like, are you sure about that, Matt? Are you sure about that? Are you sure about that? And I was like, I'm pretty sure he's been really inefficient for three straight seasons. I said I liked him more than, than Kamar Aiken. Okay, I said I was I, I was uh, I was not buying Aiken at all, and I was taking Wallace, and I, I still agree with that. But I, I think this is a pretty big blow to Wallace. I mean, Wallace has always been he's always performed pretty well, and I think people huge blow ignore that minus you know a detour in Tannehill and Bridgewater land, which you know it hurts. It hurts any receiver that that, that goes there. 
Um, but I like I like Macklin a lot. I mean, he's he's gathered yeah. way more targets in his high peak seasons than um, than Wallace has. He's more of your wide receiver one type. Well, Wallace has never been a frequently targeted receiver. Even last year, seventeen point five percent target share. The only reason that his targets were higher than the average number two receiver was because they threw the ball over 700 times in Baltimore, but his target share was relatively low. Yeah, I mean, I think Wallace is more of a, a it, how, how it benefits your entire offense from an efficiency perspective, but the stats that he can he can rack up are not necessarily going to be that impressive. If he can stretch a defense, he can put a defense on watch and open things up for other guys. So if anyone could could become, let's say, you know, a top 20, top 15 type of receiver, something like that. I think uh, it's more likely that someone like Macklin will fall into the role like Steve Smith used to have where he can just gobble up a bunch of different targets. And I think he can do that. I think people write off these older receivers who have had success, who aren't even 30 years old at this point. They write them off a little bit too quickly after one down season. Yeah, if there's a wide receiver that can help Jeremy Macklin, it's a Mike Wallace, it's a Ted Ginn, it's a John Ross. Those are the players that you want to pair with that traditional target hog flanker, a field stretcher that can ensure that the number one receiver, in air quotes, Jeremy Macklin, gets single coverage on the right side and he can just gobble up those targets on slants, crossing routes, everything intermediate. It's going to be all Jeremy Macklin. It's going to be a Jeremy Macklin show. They don't have a tight end of consequence to throw the ball to right now in Baltimore. I know we want Ben Watson to be healthy and back to Ben Watson of two years ago, but that's a stretch. They don't have another wide receiver other than Mike Wallace on the roster that's going to command targets. I know Brashad Perriman can in theory, and we love Michael Campanaro, but all systems go for Jeremy Macklin to be top 10 in the league in targets, potentially? I mean, that's conceivable if they continue to throw the ball at the frequency they did last year in Baltimore. It's kind of amazing. What a great landing spot. Yeah, I mean, it's unlikely they'll throw it at that frequency because they were so high last year, but... Uh, they're going to throw it a lot. I mean, I, I don't yeah. see it being a high-efficiency type of throwing attack with Flacco. He just has never done that. Uh, he's never been uh, uh, he's never been that type of guy. So the target's going to be there for Macklin. You know, Watson's. I mean, Watson was probably the guy that I was highest on last year before he tore his uh, his Achilles. I mean, those surgeries are becoming a little bit more commonplace. Guys recovering a little bit more quickly. So I mean, maybe if you're in a really deep league, you know, I, I wouldn't mind throwing throwing something at him and seeing what happens too. 2015, Steve Smith, 18.7 fantasy points per game, Kevin, 9.2 yards per target. So that position on the football field can be efficient if you have a Jeremy Macklin level talent playing the position, because I think 30-year-old Jeremy Macklin is about the equivalent of 36-year-old Steve Smith in terms of quickness and explosiveness. They both have great hands. So you can see Jeremy Macklin because they're intermediate routes and they're not the challenging deep routes. I know Joe Flacco has a great arm, but he's not necessarily accurate deep. He can throw it deep. Is he accurate deep? That's another story. But with those intermediate routes, we have an 18.7 fantasy points per game season on the ledger two years ago. So that's what I'm talking about. We could have Jeremy Macklin posting a 25% target share, well over 120 targets, and threaten 
WR1 status in fantasy. That's absolutely in his range of outcomes. So Jeremy Macklin is one of these players that has both a high floor and a high ceiling. I think everyone recognizes the high floor. Not enough talking about the high ceiling. I think his ceiling is higher than Eric Decker's, for example, because there will be more volume in Baltimore. When you look at Eric Decker going to Tennessee, what do you think about that landing spot? What's the forecast for Decker and the Tennessee offense overall? Yeah, I mean, it's gonna it's really gonna help Mariota. Obviously, he's he's got a lot more weapons uh, this year than he did last. Um, I mean, we'll see what, what what going on with Corey Davis. I mean, everyone loves Davis as a prospect. Um, he probably was drafted a little bit higher than what you would have expected going fifth overall in the NFL draft. <laughs> yeah, I didn't have him going that high. I think that was a bit of a reach there for for the Titans, who just wanted a wide receiver. But clearly, they're looking to. Has a wide receiver from a non-power five conference program ever been drafted that high in the history of football? Uh, I don't have that. I don't have that on my. Uh... It's very rare. Usually, the Brashad Perrimans get drafted at the end of the first round. The Roddy Whites get drafted at the end of the first round. It's rare you see a Western Michigan receiver, a player of any kind, go in the top ten. That was absolutely a reach. It's a good point. Yeah. I mean, but it was interesting because it kind of triggered the, uh, you know, Ross and then Williams and other guys all going early, too. So people seem to really want we're really reaching at that position during the draft. But I mean, to get back to to Decker, I mean, this is obviously going to benefit Mariota quite a bit. Uh, I mean, what I showed in a post when I was looking at Macklin and Decker and the reason I particularly like Decker was the fact that whenever he's played with a quarterback, the quarterback's uh, touchdown percentage has gone up by about a percent. Every single time, uh, Mariota's already a pretty efficient touchdown thrower, around 5.5% uh, touchdown percentage for, for a percentage of attempts. And if that goes up to above 6, I mean, that's that's in the elite area. That's, you know, 30-plus passing touchdowns. Uh, he could really come around quite a bit this year. It, it's kind of it's very strange that everyone was so high on Tennessee. When you think about it, it wasn't that long ago that everyone was – you know, talking about their uh, exotic smash mouth, kind of, <laughs> we're laughing at the exotic smash mouth, and now they've come around and built that sort of offense. I guess it really depends on whether they're able to, you know, give give the keys over to Mariota and let them let them let them toss the ball around a little bit. They could have an exotic smash mouth and an exotic throw mouth, smash throw. They could do a lot of things really well, really efficiently. You have a an efficient run blocking offensive line, top five in the NFL, and it's only getting better. And you have one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the NFL, only getting better. And Marcus Mariota last year, plus 25.9 production premium. That's the situation agnostic efficiency metric looking at how Marcus Mariota performed in every given down and distance against league average. Plus 25.9 last year was number one in the NFL. Marcus Mariota, as a second-year player, was already one of the league's most efficient quarterbacks, and that was with Rashard Matthews as his de facto number one option. Now his number one option is uh, Eric Decker, <laughs> and he has Corey Davis, and he has Taewon Taylor. Wow, I'm my head is spinning trying to figure out what he's going to be because you get very ambitious when you see a player that's flashed this kind of efficiency this early in his career, and then you start to see him evolve and gain more weaponry, projecting more volume, and you start just running out to best-case scenario, we have to remember last year the Tennessee Titans were 29th in the league in total pass attempts, 451 attempts. 
So this is not a team that's oriented to throw the ball. They're not. They're a run-oriented team. And if you're a run-oriented team, you have to be incredibly efficient if you're the quarterback just to be a QB1 in fantasy. Luckily, Mariota is both an efficient thrower and he runs. Last year, didn't run very much. 60 carries, 365 rushing yards. You'd like to see him get up closer to that 500 rushing yards, closer to the five touchdowns rushing instead of the two touchdowns rushing. But still, over 300 rushing yards, a couple rushing touchdowns. If he can just get a couple more rushing touchdowns and continue to be efficient, he can be a QB1 in fantasy without the volume. Because I don't think they plan to throw that much more. I think they want wide receivers that are good who doesn't want wide receivers that are good and Eric Decker comes to Tennessee and says I want to play for Tennessee because my wife is a country western singer and I'm not expensive I'm not asking for a lot of money well if you're Tennessee you're like uh sure yeah well yeah you're awesome you're one of the best red zone receivers in the league yeah we would love to have you Eric, thank you. Please come in. We'll sit down. You want some water? This is great. You're so good looking too. Wow. You're handsome too. This is amazing. So yes, of course, they like Eric Decker. They like having Corey Davis. They like having good weapons in the passing game, but that doesn't necessarily mean when they go to call a play, they're not going to call a run play, which they're predisposed to do. Yeah. I mean, the run game was crazy efficient last year. Now, who knows if that will continue or not? That's that's one of the questions. If that doesn't continue, maybe they'll be forced to throw the ball. Have you seen these offensive linemen in Nashville Predators games? I mean, these guys are a cohesive unit. Uh, going down Narrative Street there, but... Um, yeah. you, think, you think, Kevin, you think that's a Narrative Street argument? You think there's a metric for how many fish you throw on the ice during a playoff series as a unit? Really? You think that's Narrative Street? Of course it's Narrative Street, but you do like that. It's nice to see these guys all getting along. Yeah, I mean, they're going to have some productive pieces there. I mean, we've seen with, with Dallas, you have a good offensive line. A lot of other things come into play. The question is whether you can get a top five type of season out of Mariota, and I think that... No, you can't. ...is something that you shouldn't expect, at least at this point. No, I see a lot of people running out to best-case scenario on Marcus Mariota, and all of a sudden he's creeping ahead of... Russell Wilson, he's creeping ahead of Andrew Luck. No, come on. No, 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 no. What? No, no. Let's let this guy, let's let him marinate. (laughs) Right? Let's let him marinate. Right? Right? Uh, I don't know if I get that, but okay. Mariota marinate. Mariota (laughs) marinate. Mar, M-A-R. They both start with M-A-R. It's a stretch, but okay. Alliteration. All right, go ahead. It's like my exotic smash pass. Yeah, I should have passed on that. My exotic pass mouth. Am I supposed to be saying something now? (laughs) (laughs) This show is so good. So good. Back to the passing game and the wide receiver core in particular, we both agree that Eric Decker takes over as a number one option on the target totem pole, but that doesn't necessarily mean he'll be as productive in fantasy football as a guy like Jeremy Macklin. That's what I'm saying. Do you agree? Yeah, no, he's he's an efficiency guy. He's an efficiency guy. He's a touchdown guy. He's, he's not necessarily a huge target uh, hog type, and I think the, the target hogs are what really boost you and, and, and give you the huge fantasy finishes. So I, I wouldn't put them in the same category as Macklin. Exactly. Who is the most damaged 
by this acquisition? Is it Delaney Walker? Is it Rashard Matthews? Who's hurt the most this season? I'd say both of those guys. I mean, I, I'm always a little skeptical about what you're going to get from a rookie. So the fact that they brought in Davis, I, I wouldn't have thought that was, that was that much of a concern. But I think Decker hurts both of those guys. One, obviously, he's just another wide receiver option. So uh, he's, he's directly competing with, with Matthews for some of the targets that would be allocated there. And then if he's playing out of the slot in the middle of the field and then in the red zone, he's going to be more of a threat. So that's going to that's gonna hurt Walker. So I think it just... It just takes some of the upside off of those guys for certain. Right. I think it smooths out everyone's projection for all these players. I think that it dampens Matthews. It dampens Walker. But no one was that excited. No one had a hard-on for Delaney Walker. No one was walking around with a sweatpant boner thinking about Rashard Matthews this year. So to me, it's not a big deal that Rashard Matthews and Delaney Walker are not going to have the same upside that they had before Eric Decker. I think Eric Decker landed in one of the best spots. He's not nuking any breakout wide receiver that we were excited about this season. We love Corey Davis, but no one was out there waving the flag on the top of the building for Corey Davis in 2017. It's the long game with Corey Davis. It's the long game with Taewon Taylor. It's the long game with Jonu Smith. And for this season in redraft, you weren't out there just reaching, making sure you could get Rashard Matthews, just reaching, making sure you could get Delaney Walker. No. So Eric Decker goes to the perfect place where he can do the least damage. The only team that Eric Decker could have landed on that would have done less damage and would have been as good for his production would have been Atlanta because no one's excited about Mohamed Sanu. No one's excited about Taylor Gabriel. No one's excited about Austin Hooper in redraft. So that would have been best case scenario for Eric Decker. He certainly wouldn't have threatened Julio Jones targets. No one ever could. So going to Tennessee was the second best option that was optimal for the fantasy community that would upset the least amount of people. And fortunately for him, it's a good fit with his skill set going to a team with a quarterback that likes to throw to open players, right? And what does Eric Decker like to do? He likes to get open. He also likes to get open in the red zone. So that's why we do have now Mariota in the top 10. Makes sense, but top five, please. Please, top five, please, get out of here. You're a smart guy, and I feel like you like to intellectualize fantasy football. You've done some introspection about your strategy and about your player projections over the years. Give me a player that you hated two years ago that you now appreciate, and you're surprised that you appreciate him now in a way that you couldn't have imagined you would appreciate him two years ago. Well, I mean, he's probably a guy, actually, this is another guy that we talked about last year because we were doing uh, not only the Ravens preview, but we were also doing a preview for the Seattle Seahawks. And I remember, mm. I remember distinctly when Doug Baldwin started to go absolutely bonkers in 2015, that, that last half of that season, I was not buying it. Uh, I was not buying it. And then he just continued to put up, you know, two, three touchdowns a game. And of course that wasn't sustainable, but even going into last year, you know, I didn't hate him. But I certainly would have said you were pretty dismissive. I I, I would have said, well, first of all, you know, I, I know that as right as you were on Mike Wallace, you were equally as wrong <laughs> on Doug Baldwin last season. Well, he wasn't. He didn't win. He didn't win fantasy leagues for people last year. He was top ten. That's all I was saying. Oh no, so he was good. Okay, so 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 I would say that. I would say that 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 I that I didn't see the the total uh, Russell Wilson unleashing, but that the Russell Wilson unleashing it didn't happen. Russell Wilson imploded, and Doug Baldwin was good regardless because he was so fucking efficient. Right. So 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 I'm saying that that was something I didn't expect. I Man, I looked at a guy where 
he had had four and a half seasons of fairly mediocre production. Uh, he's someone who never had more than a handful of touchdowns over a 16-game stretch. All of a sudden, he put up 14 touchdowns in 2015. So I thought, this is a guy that's surefire regression. He's going to come back to earth. Um, but instead, he stepped forward a bit. Now, some of that was driven by the fact that they threw the ball so many more times last year than they had in the past because of the implosion of the offensive line, the implosion of the running game, and uh, the fact that Russell Wilson couldn't run himself, so he was throwing the ball a bit more. But the fact that he stepped up to 125 targets, uh, 94 catches, which were both much better than he had in 2015, right. and you know seven touchdowns, which is respectable. But I but I appreciate that stat line a lot more than I do the 2015 stat line, where he only had 100 targets, but because of the the crazy touchdown totals that he had, he had a, pr- a pretty good season. So you know he's he's entered the, the the stage where I say, okay, this guy is a respectable receiver. This is a guy you can probably count on for a you know between 10 and 20 fantasy finish where i was pretty dismissive of him in the past and said you know this very is very dismissive never- <laughs> not pretty dis- you were very dismissive i was not very I, I, this is not i was not very dismissive i said i said i would i would not draft him <laughs> where he was going last year that's that, that's that's all i said but now i'm saying hey this guy this guy looks solid um i don't think it's necessarily a mistake to take him uh i do wonder about some of the upside but he's going in the second round of expert drafts now have you seen this yeah i mean I, I, I think people are getting a little bit ahead of themselves, so I'm not saying that. Here we go! Here we I, go! You got it! You got it! You just like couldn't it. help it right there! You just couldn't help it! You couldn't simply appreciate Doug Baldwin. You had to get that last little in there, that last dig. Well, people are getting ahead of themselves on it, but um, <laughs> but but I respect him now. Where I thought that I thought that he was kind of a middling receiver who was living off of the efficiency of Russell Wilson. Now that that. I'm saying that's not the case. No, it's a symbiotic relationship between Russell Wilson and Doug Baldwin. And if we can ever have a full season of efficient Russell Wilson colliding with efficient Doug Baldwin, (laughs) that would be a sweatpant boner situation. I'd be walking around the house and my wife would just be like, get out, what? Our daughter! So, so Will, uh, I'm asking you here, because Will Russell, is, is this the year for the Russell Wilson, Wilson unleashing or not? I have to know. Yes, this is the year, because last year was a false start, and last year also was a red herring year that was able to get the fantasy gamers off the scent. Mm. This is the year. No, this is the year. Not last year. No, 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 this. The post-hype. Now, this is the year where Russell Wilson becomes the number one quarterback in fantasy. This year. This year. The post-unleashing. That's quite a statement. Well, we'll see about that. Okay. All right. Well, I've been waiting for years, and it's, it's this year. It's this year, though. It's this, this is the year. This is the year that they ask him to throw the ball 600 times. He rushes for five touchdowns. This, this. This is the year. Well, I'll give you that if their offensive line continues to be as god-awful as it was last year, and I don't, I don't see any reason why it won't, um, and he can be healthy, I, I think, I think the, some big things could come. But he's going to have to stay healthy. Is that interesting? Most fantasy gamers don't understand that concept, that a bad offensive line can help certain quarterbacks. Yeah. I mean, when I see a bad offensive line, one of the first things that comes to mind is, oh, we're going to have a lot of pass attempts. Ooh, this is going to be good for the fantasy output of the quarterback and that doesn't occur to a lot of people they just think oh that quarterback's going to get sacked he's not going to be able to matriculate the ball downfield nonsense in the nfl every team with the exception of the la rams can matriculate the ball at some degree now you've written a couple hallmark 
pieces for Rotoviz. Is that a fair assessment of some of the work you've done over at Rotoviz? Uh, if you say so, I'll leave that up to the readers to decide. <laughs> oh, that's what they call. That's what they call false humility. I'm. Yes, the false humility is just Kevin Cole just dripping in false humility. That's my JJ Watt. It's just gross. I feel gross having heard that. I'm also training over here with a bald eagle and uh, a pickup truck. And uh... <laughs> Calling in from your cabin in the woods. Your log cabin where you're chopping wood for your wood-burning stove. Yes, yes. The bottom line is some of the most popular articles at Rotoviz were written by Kevin Cole. That's a fact. I'm not disputing it. One of the articles was about predicting running back performance at the next level. Running regressions on college running backs and finding out what's most predictive. With the model for running backs, it's, it shows that some of the athletic and measurable stuff, uh, specifically the 40-yard dash and weight, is the most statistically significant, but it still has your rushing yards per game. It still has receptions per game when you're looking at PPR scoring as being significant. Do you know who originally proposed that? It was Bill Barnwell from ESPN. Guy that's become mainstream. At one time, he was a degenerate like us inventing something called speed score. That's Bill Barnwell's legacy. Look at Bill Barnwell. Good job, man. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Standing on the shoulders of giants, Matt Kelly and Kevin Cole. <laughs> but production does matter still. So had it in there. You can't Thank ignore you. it. Thank you. Thank you. You mean it matters that Melvin Gordon had one of the best college football seasons since Barry Sanders? You think that matters? That's something we should pay attention to? I think it matters, although I'll say that... That Kristen Michaels probably incompetent because he spent four years at Texas A&M and wasn't able to post any impressive statistical seasons? Yeah, I, mean, I think it's a disqualifier if a guy's not putting up some production at the college level um, and more of a disqualifier in some ways than even the athleticism. But I think it will still show that someone like Melvin Gordon probably is overrated. At least he was coming out of college. Not a first round pick. That's a fact. He should not yeah. have been a first round pick. I will give you that. The production was amazing. He was great last year, right? He wasn't great last year. He was productive given huge volume but he wasn't necessarily efficient. We have yet to see a efficient season from Melvin Gordon at the NFL level, and that's the reason you can't put him in the same echelon as the big three. Yeah, I think when, when he was in college, he broke off a lot of long runs, and then when he came to, to the combine, and I, I don't remember his exact measurables, but let's say he was around 215 pounds, and he ran somewhere in the four fives, which... Right, four five two forty one oh three point zero sixty ninth 103.0, 69th percentile speed score. That's good, not great. Burst score, good, not great. Agility score at 6-1 to 11, 11-11, that was pretty good. Good agility score. But, but that, that, didn't, that didn't exactly jibe with the fact that he was this guy rushing for you know, 200 yards a game and breaking off all these long runs. It showed that at the NFL, that's going to be a little bit less likely to happen, and that's what we've seen. I mean, he's, exactly. not, he's not an efficient runner like that's he right. was that's right. at, at the college level. So, and on the flip side, you have a Wisconsin running back like Monte Ball with massive athleticism red flags, and that was really the crux of your article. How do we identify the Monte Balls and not chase the college? college production that's not backed by NFL caliber athleticism. Exactly. And, and, you know, looking at the guys that you find later on in the draft that 
for whatever reason, if they have those elements like uh, speed and a decent weight and good production, but maybe they're not being drafted that high, uh, mostly because they don't go to a top school. But those are guys who might be able to produce in the NFL because they're also not playing with top offensive lines. That's the David Johnson corollary, baby. Exactly. You just stumbled upon the David Johnson corollary. I mean, why don't you just say his name, Kevin? Just say his name. Say David Johnson. You're going to weave together this elaborate example where you're just pulling every single trait from David Johnson's profile and explaining his entire career arc. You might as well say the name David Johnson. He deserves that. Does he not? He definitely fits the mold, especially for the fact that he is not only from a, a not one of the top schools in the country, but he's from you know a small school, uh, uh, an FCS school. So those are those are ones that you, that don't even, they don't even show up on the radar. It's perfect because in dynasty rookie drafts, Monte Ball was being drafted in the early first round in his rookie year, and David Johnson was often being drafted outside the first round of dynasty rookie drafts. So those are the two shining examples where your findings can help fantasy gamers stay away from Monte Ball, draft the shit out of David Johnson. Now, what about wide receivers? When you wrote for Rotoviz, you said that with wide receivers, age-adjusted production isn't the most important thing. It's the only thing. It's the only thing that matters. Athleticism matters not for wide receivers until Tyreek Hill came along. So how do you reconcile Tyreek Hill with the work you did at Rotoviz on wide receivers? Well, of course, this is, you know, this is looking at what you want to bet on, you know, what in the in the in a long enough timeline, what's going to be most profitable. And, you know, Hill had a very efficient rookie year. Not even not really not really efficient in a fantasy points per target because he was rushing for touchdowns from the 50 yard line. But his yards per target was outside the top 40. Get out of here, with Tyreek Hill. Get out of here. I mean, him being able to reproduce some of that is it's impossible. It's gonna be it's gonna be very difficult. You know, I I was looking further. You know, just to go back to what we're talking about here with college stats. Is he the most fluky wide receiver in the history of the NFL? I mean, what is this guy? Can you name a more fluky season than what we saw from Tyreek Hill last year? Uh, I guess it's tough to think of one in recent memory. It's tough to think of one. It is. It's tough. Yeah, so if you look back, we're talking about, like this, like I said, looking at college production. I mean, this is a guy who, as a junior, I think he was a, a junior college transfer, is one season at Oklahoma State. He only put up 281 receiving yards in 12 games. That's it. <laughs> Then, of course, he had his, you know, his domestic violence uh, incident. And then that epic season at West Alabama. Well, he didn't really do much there either. He matched up against those non-BCS conference cornerbacks and just shredded them, right? He must have had 2,000 yards receiving at West Alabama, right, Kevin? Right? Right? Yeah. Right? <laughs> right? I didn't even realize until digging in further right? that, yeah, he didn't even lead his team in receiving, which is really shocking. That's maybe the most shocking statistic I've heard all year, that Tyreek Hill didn't even lead his own team in receiving at West Alabama! And now he's a top 20 wide receiver. Yeah, that's another reason we're going back to Jeremy Macklin. Like, I, I just did not understand why why they let him go unless they think Conley and Hill are are the next thing. It's just, it's it's a little perplexing. You know what's interesting is they have... I know why they let him go. Why they let him go. They have created a New Orleans Saints-like cap situation where they are going to have to shed 
massive amounts of salary next year. And by cutting Jeremy Macklin this year, it provides them with some 2008 cap relief that they're going to be desperate for. They're certainly not going to be able to bring back Alex Smith, and they're going to lose important pieces next year, even after cutting Jeremy Macklin. Their cap management has been so incompetent that they are now running their team off the salary cliff in 2017. So they're trying to get out ahead of this cap crunch inevitability that they're facing. I, I guess so, because like I said, it makes makes absolutely no sense to me that you would do something like that, especially considering the fact that, like we're mentioning, Hill just does not, you shouldn't be sold on Hill at this point at all. Well, I don't think they are. I think they're saying they are publicly because they're in this embarrassing salary cap situation where they so dramatically mismanage their cap that they're having to get rid of good players that could help them win this year. And to justify these moves to the fans as this elaborate smokescreen, they're propping up Tyreek Hill in the media. That's what I think is happening. Because there's no way Tyreek Hill is the real deal. It's just not possible. I've never seen it. I, I can't believe it. It, 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 it. Maybe. I mean, maybe. I mean, I, I guess stranger things have happened, but I've never seen a stranger thing happen than a guy like Tyreek Hill being a top 20 fantasy wide receiver in his second year after posting the season he posted as a rookie after having one of the least impressive college resumes I've ever seen by a professional athlete. The idea that Tyreek Hill, by consensus, is being ranked ahead of Jeremy Macklin is preposterous to me. Yeah, I mean, it almost seems like they are... They're almost, you know, sabotaging this season, which is very strange because they were a good team. It's a win now team. What are they doing? It's almost like they're sabotaging this season. Yes, I understand you need to blow it up next year because you mismanaged the cap. Understood. At least gun for it this year. And now you're cutting your nose off to spite your face by letting Jeremy Macklin go, a key member of your offense. I agree with you. This makes no sense. And now, are they setting up Tyreek Hill to fail? Ask him to play the number one wide receiver position? Uh, the, I can't see how it's it's, it's not going to fail, quite honestly. I mean, maybe maybe Kelsey will just end up uh, trying to take any more targets. If anyone, you know, he's the one that he's the one who's going to benefit here since he's the only guy that's really established himself as as having the ability to to gather some targets. If you're a Travis Kelsey owner, this is the greatest thing you could have possibly imagined. I mean, I saw the Eric Decker release coming. I did not see this Jeremy Macklin release coming. And I'm a big time Travis Kelsey dynasty owner, so I'm ecstatic that this is happening. But good luck if you're banking on Tyreek Hill for production this year. Good luck, because now he's going to have to face number one cornerbacks, potentially bracket coverage, and every defense is going to be scheming against him as the weapon they need to be aware of on every snap. One of the reasons why he was able to be productive last year is because he snuck up on people. It was a sneak attack. There's no sneak attack this year. And now he has to operate as a proper wide receiver in the league. For the first time in his life, he has to be a traditional wide receiver where you're getting open on intermediate routes when your team needs a first down against top NFL cover corners. Good fucking luck with that. Sorry, I just, I don't like Tyreek Hill. Sorry. Sorry. I know I kind of ran you over on that. I didn't mean to. But you didn't really have a lot to say. You were just like, yeah, I don't get it either. Yeah, I mean, that's 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 pretty much it. You know, good, good luck. Yeah, that's it. Yes, good luck, right? That's it. I mean, I just think that each changes name from Tyreek Hill to Tyreek. Good luck. 
Just good luck on the back of your jersey. That's what you should have. Just good luck. It's not happening, Tyreek. Sorry. Not sorry. You had a one good season. Most players never have one good season in the NFL. Congratulations on your one good season. You'll never replicate it. What about Quincy Nunwa? Because this, to me, is the opposite end of the spectrum from Tyreek Hill, where you have a wide receiver that I believe is capable of becoming a true number one option in the NFL, being handed the keys to that role. Do you agree with that? I, I think so. Um, he, you know, what's interesting is going into this year, I was also, I mean, I wouldn't say I was super high, but I did think that there was a possibility, you know, you didn't know who the number one guy was necessarily going to be. I thought Robbie Anderson looked pretty good last year, too. Um, you know, he was a big producer coming in. Uh, he had uh, an, an off-field incident this this offseason, so I'm not sure where that stands for him. So I think there's some chance that Anderson could emerge. But Anun was a guy that... By a big producer, you mean he was quite productive at Temple. Yes, exactly. At, at, at Temple, he was a, like a small... He was, a, he was extremely small as far as weight, uh, but he's a pretty tall guy. He ran super fast. Um, and he was productive. I mean, he came in, he had 78 targets, 42 catches, and he wasn't a guy that was, you know, from, from, from day one was out there on the field a whole lot. And it was, it was, uh, he wasn't getting in those three wide receiver sets until you had the, the health issues with Decker. And then, uh, also Marshall had some health issues along the way, but mostly with Decker. So, so I, I thought that he, but it's not like he is a big enough force to, he's a complimentary option. His ceiling is a number two option in the NFL in a wide receiver core because he's six three one ninety. He's a great field stretcher. He has explosiveness like Jerome Simpson. I think in the right situation, like we have now with the Jets, he can thrive as a field stretcher, but not as a true number one option. We just don't have number one options that are six three one ninety. They don't exist. Yeah, and and for a noon one, it's like he's one of those guys where he fit right into that market share as a prospect coming out of college. He wasn't a big producer. Uh, he only had seven hundred fifty three yards in his in his uh, last season, but this was for a team that really wasn't throwing the ball a lot. So he was a good market share guy. So he's shown he's had that potential. He's obviously got the size, he's got all that. He looked great, uh, especially early last year. So yeah, he's definitely a guy that you can you can buy onto. Now, I think with wide receivers, it's less of a concern than it is with a tight end or with a running back if you have a total complete meltdown offensively, uh, especially in PPR, because we're talking about volume here. If you can just get a lot of volume, you can get a lot of garbage time, you can rack that sort of stuff up. You can rack up some points. It's going to be extremely difficult for, for Forte or for Powell or for whoever else is on that team unless they get a lot of catches. But I think there's possible that a wide receiver can emerge to at least be useful from a fantasy perspective, even if the team is just awful. Right. You have an offensive implosion. They will be bottom five in the league in offensive efficiency and points scored and all those measurements. But the number one wide receiver, even in that particular situation can still be productive remember Kenny Britt posted a thousand receiving yards last year on the Rams on the Rams why because Kenny Britt looks the part of a proper number one x receiver in the NFL so does Quincy Anunua 6'2 225 and he now has a relatively productive season on his resume 857 yards and four touchdowns last year that's something he can build on and he has the stature and he has the history of production going all the way back to his time at Nebraska that you can see him stepping forward and filling those shoes of the number one wide receiver and not being in over his head. Tyreek Hill is in way, way, way over his head in 2017. I second that. 
Now, Tyree Kill is the most overrated second-year player in the NFL. I think across all positions, right? The most overrated second-year player has to be Tyree Kill. Going back another year, looking at rookies this year, because I know that you do a lot of work at Rotoviz modeling rookie players as they enter the league. For you, who's the most overrated rookie wide receiver? Yeah, that's a little bit of a tough call. I mean, I think that the popular choice is, at least amongst the people that kind of follow these metrics, is the fact that Mike Williams was the most overrated guy. I mean, he went in the top 10. So clearly from a perspective of how much capital was spent on him at the NFL level. If Corey Davis was a reach in the top 10, Mike Williams was just an egregious reach. Yeah, so he doesn't have, you know, he doesn't have the market share numbers. He doesn't even necessarily have evidence that that he was helping Deshaun Watson that much. I mean, Watson had his most productive year uh, two years ago as a sophomore, and that was the year that Mike Williams wasn't there. He, he was injured and was out for the entire season. So he, he there's not a whole lot that, that picks that out. And the fact that he's going to... To play for the San Diego Chargers, which is, you know, it's good to play with Phillip Rivers, no doubt. Yes. But then again, Phillip Rivers is, is getting a little bit older now. And Phillip Rivers is also a guy who likes to spread around spread around the ball. And he's he turns, you know, just guys that you wouldn't expect to be good receivers into usable options. So it, whether or not Mike Williams can come in there and dominate is questionable. And I think Keenan Allen's a guy where he's not the most athletic guy. He's maybe not going to be a high yard per target guy, but he's a target vacuum. So having to overcome that is another thing. Keenan Allen's 25 years old. So the idea that Mike Williams is going to come in and supplant Keenan Allen, that's a pipe dream. That's not going to happen. And so he's at best a complimentary receiver with questionable production and athleticism on his profile. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yeah, so that's the right answer. So who's the most overrated running back based on your models? Well, I mean, it's not going to be totally based on on my model. I mean, I think that there are two guys that stand out to me. I think one guy I'll start with first. I'll say that the Dalvin Cook... He just didn't. He wasn't super impressive, obviously, at the combine. He had really good uh, production numbers, but maybe not as good as some people are thinking as far as yards per game and receptions per game. And I don't think he goes to an ideal situation where, you know, obviously, you know, the condolences to to you, Matt, on the fact that uh, Jarek McKinnon was never able to make that breakout. But I don't think that that was. Hey, 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 Jarek McKinnon stole the satellite back in Minnesota. He's still going to have a role. I'm still holding on. The train has slowed down to a crawl, but you can still see me holding on to the back of the train and my knees just scraping the railroad ties as this locomotive grinds to a halt, but I'm still on it. Okay, well, I, I think I think that he it made sense to be on it there, but that offense, that offensive line, Oof. Sam Bradford is not stretching defenses in the slightest bit. It's just not a great place to be for a running back. So I think we combine that with the fact that Dalvin Cook, you know, he's he's he, he looks like a good running back, but not a great running back. Uh, he's probably a guy that I would say is most overrated. But at the same time, I think Christian McCaffrey is a great prospect, but he's a guy from a situation perspective that I'm not saying he's he's a poor pick, but I think there's a lot of speculation based into the fact that he's going to occupy a role that just hasn't existed alongside of Cam Newton. So 
I like it when you have a guy, let's say like an Ezekiel Elliott last year, where he comes in and he is filling a role where as recently as two years before that, uh, someone was breaking records almost as far as their production at the running back position from all phases of the game with DeMarco Murray. I like it when you take a stud prospect and you just put them right into a role that's already been super productive. They're basically talking about doing something completely new with Christian McCaffrey is having a, having a running back catching the ball. So is it possible? Sure. Uh, is it is it nearly is just much more speculative? We just don't know if they're going to be able to do that with him. This is the difference between Christian McCaffrey and Alvin Kamara. These are both satellite backs. One is going to a situation where we're projecting a brand new role to be created based on his skill set. Alvin Kamara is going to a team that already has this role built and is ready to go. I mean, he's stepping into a sports car that's already has a full tank of gas and is geared and ready to explode out of the blocks. That's the difference. You shouldn't be surprised when Christian McCaffrey and Alvin Kamara post similar receptions and receiving yards, given the fact that Alvin Kamara is playing for the fucking Saints. And Alvin Kamara was the fifth running back off the board. So don't be surprised when that happens. That's what you're talking about, right? Yeah, I don't know about Kamara specifically, but yeah, I'm talking well, about... Well, what do you mean you don't know about Kamara specifically? <laughs> I mean, we'll see what happens with Kamara. Who knows? Kamara has terrific athleticism, runs a 4.56, not great, but 132.5, 93rd percentile burst score, so he has incredible burst, and he fits the satellite back role perfectly, one that has been productive for the New Orleans Saints going all the way back to Reggie Bush. That's what I'm saying. You agree with that? I mean, I agree with that. But then again, we're talking about... I'm not going to give you obvious examples. You're giving me, well, I really liked Ezekiel Elliott. Gee, you think, Kevin? (laughs) You think Ezekiel Elliott was a good prospect going to a good situation? Wow, way to take a chance with that take. Thanks, Kevin. (laughs) I'm just saying... No, I'm going to go ahead and give you a guy that's a little bit off the radar, a third-round pick, and say, hey, this guy could be closer to Christian McCaffrey than a lot of people might think based on your analysis. Your fucking analysis. Well, it's not my analysis because he didn't have he didn't have much production in college. This is based on your premise. It's based on your premise. Well, he didn't have much production, though. I, I'm just saying, he did not have much production. You said production doesn't matter for running backs! <laughs> What's happening? You were saying that I'm saying that. I said that it did matter. He scored very poorly in, in the model. Now, I'm not saying that he can't do well. I'm just saying I would I would like him a bit more if he was a little bit more productive coming out of college. That's all I'm saying for him, okay? That is all I'm saying. And they have Ingram, you know, I think Peterson is probably being overdrafted because I don't think he can catch the ball. Peterson's gonna score so many touchdowns. Don't worry about that, buddy. Well, we'll see. We'll see. All these Adrian Peterson, glowing Adrian Peterson, you know, he But it hasn't touched his ADP. Have you noticed this? Have you noticed that the positive reports from camp have not budged his ADP? Just wait wait till we get closer. Wait till we get wait till we get closer. They've decided he's washed, just like they decided Frank Gore was washed two years ago. And there's this cognitive dissonance around Adrian Peterson. He could look like the best running back in preseason, and his ADP won't move. I mean, he was cut by his team and let go. I mean, it's not like, uh, it's not like... Adrian Peterson's a great value. I've never liked Adrian Peterson. I've never owned him once. This is the year I'm going to own him. This year, when I can get him in the ninth and 10th round in redraft, and I can get him for a second round pick in 2018 in Dynasty. 
This is the year I own Adrian Peterson. Well, here, here's what I'll say about that. Touchdown, Adrian Peterson! If, if Peterson is still available Touchdown, at that point. Touchdown, Adrian Peterson! If he's still available at that Touchdown, point. Touchdown, Adrian Peterson! Come August. Touchdown, Adrian Peterson! Then the assumption would be that there's no buzz about him. But if he starts getting buzz, like he's getting like this. He's getting buzz and his ADP is unaffected. This is what I'm saying. It's June, okay? Wait, I, I am affected by the buzz. I'm the only one. I'm like, this guy looks pretty good. It's June, okay? It, it's early. I'm just saying, if, if he stays in the 30s, in the running back 30 range, it, continuing to get the buzz that he's getting, then I'll, get, then I'll give it to you. Then I'll give it to you. But I'll tell you at the same time, uh, I remember buried in one of these reports about how fantastic he looked was the fact that while they were there, he dropped a – they were talking about he dropped a pass. Just, that was like an aside in the story, and I, was, and I was thinking to myself, that's kind of an important skill to have. I, I don't get the fit. I do not get the fit there at all with, with New Orleans. I mean, he can plunge the end zone for some touchdowns, but – He's explosive Tim Hightower. But Tim, How- Tim Hightower can catch the ball, though. But, uh, yeah. I, I- but Tim Hightower's production, particularly at the end of 2015, was touchdown-based. Touchdowns. That's what you want. They score a lot of touchdowns. A lot of red zone visits. Touchdowns. Kevin. Touchdown. Touchdown, Adrian Peterson. Say it with me. You say it. You say it. Say it. Go ahead. Say it. <laughs> say it. You're on your own with this one, buddy. Say touchdown, Adrian Peterson. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I'd rather not. Come on. Just say it. Come on. You know what you want. Say, say it. Come on. It's fun. It, it, trust me. It was really fun. Say it. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to pass on that one. <laughs> love the show, man. This is so good. <laughs> All right, so we did the overrated guys. Underrated. That's what we really want. Who's the underrated rookie wide receiver? The underrated rookie wide receiver. Well, that's a good question because... It is a good question. There are a lot of guys that had had a lot of production. I think there's a possibility that Juju Smith-Schuster is a bit underrated uh, where he is right now. It's a very crowded... It's a very crowded-looking receiving course, but I think Martavis Bryant, we'll see what happens with him. Uh, the chances of, of, the, of the, the fact that he's going to fail another test and be you know, suspended for the year are probably about 50%, I would say, right now, if you look at the past history of what's happened with these guys. I mean, we'll, we'll see exactly what happens, but I, I say there's a pretty high chance that he's going to get kicked out. Obviously, you know, Antonio Brown is Antonio Brown. He hasn't been injured in forever, but that doesn't mean he's incapable of being. Uh, of, of being. Can you not do this, please, on the show? Can you not talk about Antonio Brown getting hurt? Of all the ways that you can talk about Juju Smith-Schuster, there's plenty of ways you can talk about him without mentioning Antonio Brown getting injured. That's just, no, please, don't do that. Don't. <laughs> don't go there. You could go anywhere else. Just don't go. That's not cool, man. You know that's not cool. It's just not cool. Whatever. You, you're just discussing, like, listen, it, I'm just saying it comes into people's opinion when they look playing alongside someone who does have an injury history. They'll say, oh, well, that's that's a, that's an upside. So I'm just saying, I'm not saying that he's going to get injured, but I'm just saying we shouldn't discount any possibility of that. That's all I'm saying. That's that that, that that's pure, pure and simple. And when you're playing with a quarterback like Ben, hey, you know, when, when people are looking at someone like Mike Williams, I'm sure people are like people are saying that, oh, Keenan Allen gets injured every single year. So that's a good reason for why why Mike Williams would do, do well. So I'm just pointing out the fact that the lack of injuries in the past doesn't mean that it's impossible to happen in the future. I'm not saying that you need it, but I'm just saying there's more upside than what people may be currently baking into as his 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 range and his ADP. I agree because Martavis Bryant is not a lock to start the season on the active roster because he has a long history of failed drug tests. And the next wide receiver on the depth chart that Juju Smith-Schuster has to supplant is Eli Rogers. Eli Rogers is a textbook one-dimensional slot receiver 
Juju Smith-Schuster is much more versatile. Is Juju Smith-Schuster the number two ranked receiver on your model after Corey Davis? His high production season, his high market share season was actually last year. It wasn't just, you know, it wasn't just his last college season. It was two seasons ago. So if you're going to go purely by what the model would have said about final year and career and career market share, uh, he would have been close, but it, it, it kind of liked some of these guys. If you if you get rid of the extra games that they played, because John Ross played a lot of extra games where he actually wasn't wide receiver. If you get rid of those extra games, it would like someone like John Ross more. So you like John Ross? I like John Ross, but I don't think he's necessarily undervalued playing in the offense that he's playing in and at the draft position that he went at. What about a guy like Kenny Galladay? Yeah, Kenny Galladay is interesting because I don't think there's necessarily a a lot from a metrics perspective to like about him, the fact that he's big. He's a big guy. Well, Golden Tate could get hurt, Kevin. You know, Golden Tate hasn't been hurt. Golden Tate could get hurt. But Golden Tate, it wouldn't matter. Marvin Jones is still there and some other guys are still there. So, Well, Marvin Jones could get hurt. My point is, I don't know if there's a lot of opportunity there in that offense. It's not an offense that's produced a lot of big-time wide receivers. Um, but people, you know, he's getting a lot of buzz. So we'll have to see where it comes out to. I have a feeling that he may be a bit overvalued by the time we get around to, to doing some real drafting. Okay, you don't like Kenny Galladay. Your justification for Juju Smith-Schuster was lacked any substance. <laughs> There's plenty of substance there. <sighs> what about Chris Godwin? Can you just get excited about one guy, Chris Godwin, maybe? No, I like I like Godwin also, but it, I mean, it's a, it's a crowded place. It's a crowded place. So if you want to get kind of an immediate return... No, I'm just saying a guy you're excited about, a guy you're like, this guy checks so many boxes. I'm so excited to see what he does at the next level. I, I, I was just, I, I my guess, model loved him and excited. I loved him. And this guy was like, get excited about a player, Kevin. I'm not as excited. I'm not as excited about the rookies as a rookie class this year um, as in previous years. That's a good take. Just say you don't like the entire class. The entire class was incredibly overrated, and you should just trade all your dynasty rookie picks. Say that. That's a good take. I don't like the opportunities that that we're seeing that that you're seeing out there. I think guys like Godwin and Schuster, if they were in other places, um, I'd, I'd like them a lot more. That's interesting. Yeah, if we could reshuffle the deck with these wide receivers and have them land on different teams, switch some roles around, then. You'd like him a lot more, but I agree with you. There aren't many rookie wide receivers. I'm drafting and redraft. Let's put it that way. Think about it. Is there one receiver that you're excited to draft and redraft? Zay Jones? Maybe. Maybe. Probably not. Yeah. What about running backs? Who's the most underrated running back? I think I know who the answer is, but I want you to say it. Go ahead. So you're talking only about rookies now. The most underrated rookie running back. Yes, the, the class we've been talking about for the last 15 minutes. Okay, if you want to say the most underrated, now this is going to be, you're, you're not going to suspect this one coming. This is going to be, we're going like truly, truly under the radar. Finally, yes, this is what I've been trying to get out of you for the second half of the entire show. I would say a guy to look at is D'Angelo Henderson. Yes, Yes, that's a great answer. Talk to us about D'Angelo Henderson. I want to hear this. Well, he's another guy. We talked about we talked about small schools. It's a great depth chart for a guy to land on. There's a lot of open space to run in Denver. It's a shallow depth chart. It's a productive player, athletic. D'Angelo Henderson, love it. Am I doing this or are you doing this? <laughs> I stepped on you because I was so excited for you to actually give us a sleeper that we could get excited about that I just stepped all over your take. Go ahead. Okay, so 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 we're talking about another guy where he's not he's from small school, an FCS school, Coastal Carolina, so he gets lost in the mix, but he's a guy 
where if you look at the last three years that he's played, he's putting up you know, 1,500, 1,300, 1,200 yards, even when he's missing some games, 20 touchdowns, 16 touchdowns, 16 touchdowns, and he is catching the ball. He has uh, almost 100 catches over the last three years playing playing in a small school. And you mentioned the athleticism. I mean, he's not going to jump off the charts like someone like a David Johnson because he's only 208 pounds, but he comes in at 4'4", 840. Uh, you know, 120-inch broad jump, pretty good. The vert, okay, at 34. I mean, it's it's not going to be great, but he's someone who's going to check as many boxes as someone like Dalvin Cook, and he has, in some ways, better production than Dalvin Cook. But he had he played for a smaller school, and and you mentioned the Broncos. You have a couple of okay options there. I don't think that they're sold on either one of them. Um, you obviously have kind of a, a, a shakeup as far as the coaching, everything else. I mean, this is a guy where you, you just don't know what could happen, but he can he could potentially do something. So if you look at a guy that could elevate, that'll cost you literally nothing. I mean, he's not even drafting and redraft, nothing. but he's going to cost you basically also nope. nothing in in dynasty. Why not add him to the roster? Love D'Angelo Henderson because his profile looks strikingly similar to Joe Williams, except that he's on a better team than Joe Williams, and he actually catches passes. So if you want a player with similar metrics across the board to Joe Williams, who landed in a better spot and is a much better all-around running back, well, that's D'Angelo Henderson. I don't understand why people are drafting Joe Williams in the second round and D'Angelo Henderson isn't being drafted in Dynasty rookie drafts. That's the most perplexing running back dichotomy to me in all of Dynasty League football. Yeah, I think Williams, it'd be interesting if we could you could kind of run a, a counterfactual, go back in time and see if that article didn't come out by Peter King where they talked about, you know, we all knew that they traded up to get Joe Williams, but when you heard the backstory about how much Shanahan liked him and the fact that he begged for, for them to go from Williams off the board to uh, trading up to get him, all of that stuff. I wonder how much of that narrative has played into uh, to where Williams is being taken now. A lot, a lot. For as little as anyone's paying attention to the Adrian Peterson looks as explosive as ever narrative, they are falling for this Joe Williams narrative hook, line, and sinker. Pounding the table. Can you hear this right now? There, yes. You hear what this is? This is me pounding the table. Joe Williams is so awesome. We got to get Joe Williams. Oh, we'll never. We're going to the Super Bowl. We just need to get Joe Williams. Fuck Joe Williams. He doesn't catch passes. Get the fuck out of here. Poor man's Jeremy Lankford. Get out of here, Joe Williams. Where was I? You still there, Kevin? <laughs> yes, I am. Yes, I am. Jesus Christ. You want to get me into a ball of rage? Talk about Tyreek Hill and Joe Williams. That's the easiest way to do it. Those are my triggers. My triggers are Joe Williams, Tyreek Hill. Let's go be covered both of them then. <laughs> now, speaking of overrated players, the Texans drafted Deshaun Watson. And you and I talked about Deshaun Watson during the pre-draft process. His lackluster, to say the least, arm strength. So does Deshaun Watson's... 46 to 49 miles per hour throw velocity doom will fuller and wendall williams forever i I don't know about forever it's certainly not good in year one um 
not only to mention the fact that they have, you know, DeAndre Hopkins is still there too. So the ability to support all of these different guys from a rookie quarterback is almost impossible. And clearly they're not going to be asking him to do that. And he's a guy who can use his legs. So that might be part of the game plan too. It's going to be tough, I think, for to, to see the type of volume that they're going to need to to support those guys. I mean, he did throw the ball quite a bit in college. He wasn't a low volume guy in college, like people like a Kaepernick or or Tebow or someone like that. But um, it, it, there's a there's a long history of rookie quarterbacks coming in and hurting their their wide receiving options. So it's going to be tough for the next year, at least. What about the history of rookie quarterbacks that can't throw the ball 50 miles per hour? Well, we don't have we don't have necessarily a very long history of having those numbers, but clearly it hasn't been good. We don't have them. We don't have them. We just don't have them. We don't have anyone to point to. Anyone? Name one. Go ahead. Name yeah, one. I, I don't I don't know if there is anyone. I know that Tyrod Taylor threw it fifty miles an hour, but of course he didn't he didn't play as a rookie. Tyrod Taylor was a fifth round pick. Tyrod Taylor was near the bottom of the league in deep ball completion percentage last year, despite Marquez Goodwin seeing significant snaps. So I don't know why anyone is hopeful for Deshaun Watson. And certainly if you own Will Fuller, I mean get out. Get out now. He's a low floor, low ceiling player at this point. Get out while his first round draft capital still has value in dynasty leagues, right? It's not a bad move. The problem is I don't know what is I don't know what you can even get for Will Fuller at this point. Listen, dynasty leagues have 12 owners. One of those owners believes Deshaun Watson is the answer in Texas. One out of 12 chance. That's all you need is one out of 12 to believe in Deshaun Watson. One sucker. That's all you need in every league. Just one. Just takes one. One sucker. Now, speaking of suckers, people that draft quarterbacks early, <laughs> no one's doing it anymore. Did you notice that? And for the first time, no quarterbacks are being drafted in the first five rounds of a typical redraft league. It's amazing. Late round quarterback has finally become the standard way people draft. It's finally been ingrained in all fantasy games. It's amazing to see a draft concept be universally adopted. Is it not? Isn't that cool? Yeah, I mean, look. I mean, look. Look at some of the names, though. I think you're getting some some brand name guys in that range. Well, that's the thing is that Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, Drew Brees, they're falling outside the first five rounds now. That would have never happened five years ago. Those would have been first and second round picks. I mean, there has been a seismic shift in the valuation of quarterbacks relative to other positions in redraft. It's exciting. It's exciting. And analytics did this. Kevin, analytics was responsible for this movement. So when you look at these late-round quarterbacks, who's your favorite late-round quarterback? Mine's Phillip Rivers. Who's yours? Well, it depends on where you want to say, if you want, how you want to say late round. Um, if we're talking about just guys that I think are values where they are. If you're one of these guys that's playing chicken with quarterback and you're willing to wait and draft the 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th quarterback off the board, who you got? Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I'm with you in that range. I think Rivers, anyone, River, anyone in that range, Rivers, Dalton, Andy Dalton, Dalton's a, a definite possibility. I mean, Carson Palmer, if you want to go all the way back to 21. Talk about Carson Palmer. Why do you like Carson Palmer? Well, time? I think if John Brown is really going to gonna be out there and playing again, uh, of course, they have Fitzgerald. I mean, they got David Johnson back there. I mean, I think it's an offense that that works. He had a, he had an off year last year, but again, you're talking about a guy you're drafting between Blake Bortles and Ryan Tannehill. So, like, who really has the potential to do to do better than that? I mean, he's going after Carson Wentz. 
Yeah, that's that seems a little ridiculous to me. What? He is? No way. That has to be a bug. He, well, according to according to the Best Ball ADP app, he is going after Carson Wentz. But these are a bunch that are all just bunched up together at this point. So I feel like you could take any of those guys. But I'll, just to skew off of what you're saying a little bit, though, I do think Cam Newton is interesting this year at QB8. Mm. Only because mm. he, the upside. he's going very late. And he's a guy where, you know, four out of the last five years, I think he's been a top five quarterback. So, you know... He doesn't even need necessarily weapons. Now, everyone's projecting that he's going to change his whole game around this and that. They need to win some ball games, And if they're going to win some ball games, he's going to have to use his legs. Um, wow, the analytics-focused Kevin Cole comes in with the analysis. They just need to win some ball games, folks. They got to win ball games. You need to do it. Can you do that? Can you say that? Can you say, they just need to win some damn ball games? Can you say it with a southern accent? They need to win some damn ball games. Say that. Say it with a southern accent. Do it. Do it. Uh, I'll, I'll leave that to you. Uh, but my point being that, you know, Cam is one of those guys where the price right now, why not? He has he has a chance. He has a chance of being – if anyone has QB1 in their range of outcomes and you can get him as QB8, it sounds good to me. Okay, Cam Newton in 2005. Just to remind everyone, I know this was an outlier season. I know he can't repeat this. I know. I get it. I get it. Double-digit touchdowns. Rush. Not going to happen. I know. I know. I know it. Right? It's not going to happen. Impossible. 25.2 fantasy points per game. 25.2 fantasy points per game. He had a 42-point game. <laughs> right? Right? I mean, that's the eighth quarterback off the board. In the second half of the season, 2015, Cam Newton, 34, 21, 31, 18, 37, 23, 43, 15, 33 fantasy points. Yeah, yeah sounds like a good value. <laughs> the eighth quarterback off the board. Yeah, right? I love looking at players in terms of ceilings and floors. You know that Andrew Luck is not going to give you 25 fantasy points per game. It's impossible. It's not in his range of outcomes. But it is in the range of outcomes of Cam Newton, and he's going after Andrew Luck. So this is a situation where you might actually take a quarterback a couple rounds before you normally would. I love this strategy. I'm going to be drafting Cam Newton in every league, just like I was drafting Russell Wilson in every league last year, and I lost every league badly, and I'll lose every league badly this year as well. Thanks a lot, Kevin. <laughs> I was all for Russell Wilson still remaining leashed, at least somewhat. I want to do an intellectual exercise with you. Yes. You look at Jay Ajayi, you look at Jordan Howard, these are regression candidates because they had impressive years in 2016, but they were either rookies or they had never been impressive at the NFL level previously. Compare them with players like Todd Gurley, Tevin Coleman, players that had more impressive prospect profiles, both more athletic and more productive at the college level. When you look at running backs, take a Jay Ajayi and a Jordan Howard and put them in one bucket. You put a Todd Gurley and a Tevin Coleman in another bucket. When you're evaluating players like that, how do you detangle running back talent from their situation? I mean, you can, you can look at them separately, but I, I, I just think it's tough to overweight the quote-unquote talent in certain situations because it's just more of an unknown. I mean, you, you mentioned that we have some of the athletic measurables, so... Coleman, we at least have a pro day 40, so we know he's athletic. Uh, Gurley, I think there's probably a fair assumption that that's the case. 
Um, but at least when we're talking about Gurley, you know, without the catching, without the receiving, without a functional offense, and I think it's a, a, an enormous stretch to think that that offense would be functional. I don't know if the talent is really going to be able to over uh, to outweigh anything. So I, I think Gurley, I'm having, I'm going to have trouble getting getting behind. Coleman's a guy where I know you love Tevin Coleman. Um, he's he's also I think there's probably extremely low probability that he and Devontae Freeman are going to be able to both produce at the efficiency that they, did, that they did last year playing in what was by far the NFL's best offense. So he's another guy. Impossible. He was the most efficient running back in the league, and in redraft, you always fade so, previous so, year so efficiency. I, I, I don't love that always. situation either. So I'd probably say of the two from Ajayi and, and Howard, I think I think Ajayi is a, is the, was a better prospect coming out, certainly is more athletic, um, and he had a lot of receiving work, at least when he was in college, and then supposedly he's getting a little bit better in that game. So I'd probably look to him over Howard and potentially being a better offense too. Um, but but it's just going to be tough with, with Gurley and Coleman at, at where they're going. And I think I think Ajayi is decent, but they're they're all speculative at this point. I think I'd lean towards towards a clearer situation if you can find it. Right. This is why zero RB strategy is often the right approach because. Any one of those four running backs could be landmines based on the fact that they were propped up by single season randomness in 2016 that they can't possibly repeat in 2017. That's Jordan Howard more than likely, or they're betrayed by their situation like Todd Gurley, or they're betrayed by a lack of opportunity like Tevin Coleman, or all of the above could happen to Jay Ajayi. So this is why we just don't draft running backs in this round two, round three, round four zone. And we prefer to draft the elite wide receivers instead, where we have more certainty about their opportunity and their talent level, because there's a general ambiguity to running back evaluation. So if you're running an NFL team and you had to pick between those four players to be your starter, which of those players would you draft if you were starting an NFL team tomorrow? If I was starting an NFL team, that was the... That's the question. Uh, I guess you weren't listening. Let me just try this again. You're a general manager, Kevin. We're an expansion franchise. The Fairfield Fireflies, Fairfield Freelancers, Fairfield Fuck I Don't Care, some team. And I'm hiring Kevin Cole as my general manager. Kevin, these are the four running backs that are available. Let me give you the list again because, again, you weren't listening. <laughs> Jay Ajayi, Jordan Howard, Todd Gurley, Tevin Coleman. You got to pick one, and you got to be right. So no no, no trading back. <laughs> Kevin! I'm just messing with you. Okay, uh, uh, Tevin Coleman is who I, is who I'll select. Yes! Ding, 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 ding! I love you, man. God, I love you. Tell us why. Well, he's he's been able to do everything effectively, so. So why not take the one guy who's who's done everything effectively and checks all the boxes from production to athleticism to uh, and he showed the receiving ability last year. So he's 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 done it all. So he's the guy that I take. I am floating above my chair. <laughs> I'm weightless. This is what weightlessness feels like. I feel like I'm in space. This is. I had no idea this show was gonna go this well. Holy shit! So we're talking about redraft ADPs. Give me a player whose redraft ADP you're most pleasantly perplexed by. Like, you're just like, I have no idea why this guy's so inexpensive, and I'm pushing the button, and I'm looking around going, I just stole this guy. I'm glad no one noticed. <laughs> Who's that guy? Well, I'm, you know, I've been a big fan of this guy for years. 
he hasn't really really paid off because of some injury concerns and I think now you know I, I just think he's one of the best receivers in the league and he's not cheap at wide receiver 20 but I think Alshon Jeffrey is a guy that that, that I want to have now I know a lot of people don't like him because of the fact that Carson Wentz was, let's face it, he was bad last year. Bad, 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 bad. But, you know, they, they, they threw the ball a lot. I think they're going to continue to throw the ball a lot. They have a defense that keeps them in games. And I don't see a lot of competition. I mean, I know Jordan Matthews is there. I know Torrey Smith is there. But Alshon Jeffrey is a true number one receiver. He's a stud, man. He's an alpha dog stud in the receiving core. That's it. They haven't had one in a while. And if you look at the guys that are being drafted right around him, let, let's, let's figure it out. I mean, right before him is Devontae Adams. After him, Terrell Pryor is kind of speculative. Your man, Tariq Hill, uh, Crabtree, Golden, Golden Tate, Stephon Diggs. I just can't believe that. As of this recording today, Tyreek Hill is being drafted before Michael fucking Crabtree? Uh, right, right, almost at the exact same ADP, yes. Oh, my God. All of you are idiots! So I, I think when you're talking about those guys, I mean, those guys that are pretty much number two receivers, I mean, maybe you could say Terrell Pryor has a chance to be a number one, but again, I mean, that's like highly speculative. He basically played on a Cleveland team. Speculative! It's speculative! You're right! This is all speculative! Whereas you have Alshon Jeffrey as a guy where last year he didn't play well, but two years ago he was dominant when he was healthy, and then the two years before that he was a top ten Alpha receiver dog. both years. Alpha dog. Alpha dog. So, so Alpha I think dog. if you're Alpha dog. that, that's easy money to draft a guy who's 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 got top ten not only in his range of outcomes, but I'd say probably a fifty percent chance of being a top ten wide receiver at wide receiver twenty. Oh, God, I love Alshon Jeffrey. I love how his situation is totally throttled. His ADP. Thank you. Check please. Who's on the other side of the spectrum? The wide receiver you look at and you're thinking, how the fuck is this possible? You can't say Tyreek Hill. I think Brandon Cooks may have the worst ADP I've ever seen, quite honestly. <laughs> like I just I don't I don't understand it at all. Like it really. <laughs> like I, I think I almost think that it's a mistake. <laughs> We found two bugs in the ADP app already. How could he be wide receiver 13 playing? I mean, they have so many different options on that team. Uh, yeah, I, I don't get it. I mean, I looked, I did an article where I was looking at the relationship between ADP for receivers and for quarterback, and it's it's out of whack this year for for the Patriots. And if you look at you know, the last time that it was a similar sort of situation as far as the different ADPs for everyone there, it's basically everyone's being drafted at the same ADP as they were in the past. And then you just added uh, Brandon Cooks at the highest wide receiver ADP that we've seen since, Ran you know, since Wes Welker and Randy Moss were there. You just add him in without lowering anyone else's ADP. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, the Patriots have discovered fantasy football cold fusion. That's what everyone believes. I have Brandon Cooks and Julian Edelman lower than consensus. It's hard to put Gronk lower than consensus because you've seen this guy play. I mean, he's really good. He's Rob Gronkowski. He's the most epic tight end in the history of the game, and it's not actually close. So for that reason, I go ahead and slot Gronk in at the number one position and say, fuck everyone else. But the other receivers in the passing game, they are going to cannibalize one another because Remember we talked about the Tennessee Titans being a run-oriented team? That's what the Patriots are. The Patriots are not a pass-first team. I think this is one of the best-kept secrets in all of football. <laughs> the Patriots are a run-oriented team that is perceived as a prolific pass attack. <laughs> They're not. 
they happen to run a lot of plays and they get a lot of red zone visits. So, of course, their wide receivers are productive, but they're not that productive. They're not New Orleans Saints productive, where Brandon Cooks came from. So, no, Brandon Cooks is not going to be as productive as he was last season. I agree with you. Now, we got really excited when you gave us that rookie sleeper, D'Angelo Henderson. Do you remember that? I remember. Remember how excited we got? I remember. No, that was really exciting. Still thinking about it. Can you do it for us with a late round wide receiver in seasonal leagues? A proper sleeper, a real sleeper, like a sleeper sleeper for redraft leagues. Round 15 through 20. Give us one, Kevin. Give us one. Make us feel good again. Well, again, this is good. This is the guy that that I mentioned earlier, and you can't say a guy you mentioned earlier. No, this is a, this is a sleeper. This is a, you can't recycle a sleeper. Well, we were talking about we're talking about Quincy. We're talking about Quincy and Emma earlier, and I, I like him a lot. But I do think that Robbie Anderson is a, is a super. You already talked about Robbie Anderson. You got to give us someone else. You can't recycle a sleeper. We talked about Robbie Anderson for two minutes. You can't talk about Robbie Anderson again. I need someone else. We owe it to the audience not to lapse into repeats, Kevin. Okay, well, now I got to find somebody else because that's what <laughs> I should have mentioned him earlier. <laughs> oh, you only had one guy in your notes. I had, I've been there. Um, sleeper, sleeper. Mm-hmm. Someone like Cole Beasley, perhaps? Do you like Cole Beasley? Yeah, he's okay. This is a stretch, but I'll throw it out there. Um, yeah. How about J.J. Nelson as a super sleeper? Now, I'll tell you why. He is a, a Bruce Arians-type receiver. I mentioned earlier how, um, obviously, Michael Floyd is gone. Uh, Fitzgerald is, you know, approaching 50 years old. Uh, John Brown's coming back, but we don't know how he's going to do there. So Nelson's going to, for the first time, is going to get to be in there and playing probably on most sets. He's going to be in there and in every down type of wide receiver. He's been extremely productive when he's played. Um, he's not the biggest guy, but he's a guy that I feel like if there's any sort of shakeup in those wide receivers, it's not out of the question that he could end up being a guy that Carson Palmer targets a lot more. So I think you're getting a combination of his roles being elevated and he's been productive when he's been there and you're getting him in the same range as you're getting, you know, some, some, some nobodies basically. So, so he, he's a guy I'll throw. And there's a lot of depth chart uncertainty because if there is a wide receiver where you can speculate on an injury, it's John Brown. I thought we were supposed to speculate on it. Not Antonio Brown. See, that's the difference. That's it, you, it was the wrong Brown. We were speculating on an injury. You gave us this gratuitous Antonio Brown injury prediction, which just came very close to ruining the entire show. All right, let's let's, let's move past. Let's 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 move past this. We healed the show. We came back stronger than ever, and then you came back with a different Brown, the right Brown for which you can speculate on an injury because. It appears that John Brown has a congenital hamstring problem that won't ever go away. Whatever you say next is going to end the show. There you have it. Word expansion franchise, the Fairfield Fuckers. Okay, we're the Fairfield Fuckers. I don't know why I did that. It's just to try to do an alliteration. I don't just F word. I don't. You know, 
my model loved him, and I loved him, and this guy was like, get excited about a player, Kevin. I mean, why don't you just say his name, Kevin? Just say his name. Say David Johnson. That's quite a statement. We'll, we'll see about that. Okay. Kevin! And if we can ever have a full season of efficient Russell Wilson colliding with efficient Doug Baldwin, <laughs> that would be a sweatpant boner situation. I'd be walking around the house and my wife would just be like, get out! What? Our daughter! That's quite a statement. We'll, we'll see about that. Okay. They love your snap judgments of my takes. <laughs> That's what the listeners love. They adore the Kevin Cole snap judgment of the Matt Kelly take. You take my takes down as quickly as anyone. I mean, you're like a professional UFC grappler the way that you get me to the ground very quickly. <laughs> it's like, oh, no, 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 that hurts. That hurts, Kevin. That hurts. Ah, ah, my arm's broken. It's broken. That I got air quotes out here for those who can't see it for, for quote, unquote, real football as opposed to Two minutes in, you've already busted out the air quotes. So just read their tweets, read their articles, and enjoy them. Do not bother them with questions just to make yourself look smart. Make it appear as if you're on par with them, because you're not. The train has slowed down to a crawl, but you can still see me holding on to the back of the train and my knees just scraping the railroad ties as... This locomotive grinds to a halt, but I'm still on it. D'Angelo Henderson, love it. Am I doing this or are you doing this? I watch tape of him, and he looks just so fast and so explosive. Yeah. And he's such a beast, kind of just like Njoku is. But they had a gimmick quarterback at Alabama. I didn't realize what a gimmick that guy was. Oh, my God. Yeah. Woo! That guy can't throw. They had him lined up in the H-back position most of the time. They didn't even have him at tight end. Yeah. He would only be running these little flares. His depth of route was like nothing. I mean, talk about misusing a guy. I rarely ever like see a guy misused in real life. It's just something people say. But I actually saw, like, oh, this guy really is being misused. This is fucking horrendous. Look how fast he is. He runs a 4-5-1. Wow. Wow. So there's plenty of guys with that profile that had bad college productions. I'm, I'm fine with it. If they played at the big time programs. So Greg Olson was on Miami. Same athletic profile. Didn't do much at Miami, but because he was just part of a machine. Yeah, he yeah he barely scored any touchdowns, but he hasn't been much of a touchdown scorer in the pros either. No, but he's great. Yeah, <laughs> he's so good. So, yeah, I, I was like, you know what? I'm pretty sure on Njoku, but I'm not positive, and I kind of hate the situation for the short term. I have him higher than Howard, but fuck it, I'm just gonna take both. And one of these two guys is definitely gonna be good. Obviously, it's not definite, but. It's a good probability. What do you think about Ingram? You know, there's way too much risk that he's just a positionless dude. I don't like the fit there, but I mean, I mean, he, he did all right. I mean, I, I would go, I would go those other guys in front of Ingram, no doubt. You know what? Cam has it worked out. He refuses to stretch with the guys. He's one of the great douches in NFL history, is he not? Yeah, yeah. Russell Wilson's super corny. Aaron Rodgers is super nerdy. And Tom Brady is super goofy. And Ben Roethlisberger is a sex offender. Breeze is even, but you almost feel like there's almost a program running in the back of his head that's controlling him. He's all right. He seems like he's a little more uh, programmed in his whole persona and everything else. But You know who the normal guy was that was just the normalist guy was Romo. He snuck up on people. It was a sneak attack. There's no sneak attack this year. 
That's quite a statement. We'll, we'll see about that. Okay. I don't like Tyreek Hill. Sorry. Sorry. I know I kind of ran you over on that. I didn't mean to. But you didn't really have a lot to say. You were just like, yeah, I don't get it either. Each change his name from Tyreek Hill to Tyreek. Good luck. Just good luck on the back of your jersey. That's what you should have. Just good luck. <laughs> it's not happening, Tyreek. Sorry. Not sorry. Tyreek Hill is in way, way, way over his head in 2017. I'm also training over here with a bald eagle and a pickup truck. Yeah, this is an ambitious show. We're going to try to go fast, man. We're going to try to do this. Last show was very, very popular, if you remember. The, the Campanaro show. Oh, so popular. I remember it somewhat. Uh, I remember yeah, I remember there was a lot of... Uh, there, there was some buzz out there. I, I'll leave that up to the readers to decide. I am affected by the buzz. I'm the only one. I'm like, this guy looks pretty good. It's June, okay? It's June, okay? Say touchdown, Adrian Peterson. Go ahead, go ahead. Uh, I'd rather not. Just one. Just takes one. One sucker. So that's why we do have now Mariota in the top ten. Makes sense, but top five, please. Please. Top five. Please. Get out of here. That's quite a statement. We'll, we'll see about that. Okay. I want to do an intellectual exercise with you. Yes. They could have an exotic smash mouth and an exotic throw mouth. Smash throw. My exotic pass mouth. Have you seen his offensive linemen in National Predators games? I mean, these guys are a cohesive unit. Uh, going down Narrative Street there, but... Um, <laughs> the- you think? You think, Kevin? You think that's a Narrative Street argument? You think there's a metric for how many fish you throw on the ice during a playoff series as a unit? Really? You think that's Narrative Street? Of course it's Narrative Street, but you do like that. It's nice to see these guys all getting along. No, no, let's let this guy, let's let him marinate, <laughs> right? Let's let him marinate, right? Right? Uh, I don't know if I get that, but okay. Mariota marinate, Mariota marinate, Mar, M-A-R, they both start with M-A-R. It's a stretch, but okay, alliteration. All right, go ahead. They could have an exotic smash mouth and an exotic throw mouth. Smash throw, my exotic pass mouth. I was not buying it. Uh, I was not buying it, and then he just continued to put up, you know, two, three touchdowns a game. And of course, that wasn't sustainable. But even going into last year, you know, I didn't hate him, but I certainly would have said you were pretty dismissive. I, I, I would have. Well, first of all, you know, I, I know that as right as you were on Mike Wallace, you were equally as wrong on Doug Baldwin last season. I, I, I would have said, well, first of all, you know, I, I know that. So, so, so I'm saying that I, I, I would have said, well, first of all, you know, I, I know that. So, so, so I'm saying that I, I, I would have said, well, first of all, you know, I, I know that. You were pretty dismissive. I was not very, I, I, this is not, I was not very dismissive. I said, this is not, I was not very dismissive. I said, I said, I would, I would not draft him. I, 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 I think people are getting a little bit ahead of themselves, so I'm not saying that. Here we go! Here we go! Well, people are getting ahead of themselves on it. I just stole this guy. I'm glad no one noticed. <laughs> Who's that guy? I said I liked him more than, than Kamar Aiken. The bottom line is some of the most popular articles at Rotoviz were written by Kevin Cole. That's a fact. I'm not disputing it. Athleticism isn't the most important thing. It's the only thing. 
No, well, I think I think you're flipping that. Uh, when, when I wrote about when I wrote about wide receivers, I said that college production isn't uh, you know isn't it, what, what was it? Is Oh, sorry. I'll take that out. I'll, I'll edit that out. You're right. You're fucking right. God damn it. Why do I misremember things? It sucks. It's the only thing. It's the only thing that matters. I, I'm just saying, he did not have much production. You said production doesn't matter for running backs! What's happening? That's Bill Barnwell's legacy. Look at Bill Barnwell. Good job, man. <laughs> Woo! Standing on the shoulders of giants, Matt Kelly and Kevin Cole. I'm not disputing it. I'm not going to give you obvious examples. You're giving me, well, I really liked Ezekiel Elliott. Gee, you think, Kevin? You think Ezekiel Elliott was a good prospect going to a good situation? Wow, way to take a chance with that take. Thanks, Kevin. I don't think there's necessarily a, a lot from a metrics perspective to like about him other than the fact that he's big. He's a big guy. Well, what if T.Y. Hilton gets hurt? That's certainly a possibility. No one talks about T.Y. Hilton getting hurt, Kevin. Well, I mean, he's not on the Colts, so it really wouldn't matter, but... Oh, he's on the Lions. Shit. Shit, what did I say? Did I say T.Y. Hilton? Hold on, hold on. Let me do that again. Let me do that again. Wait, wait, wait. That's going in the outtakes. That's going in the out... That was embarrassing. Wow, that really? Did that just happen? <laughs> you should keep that first one in there. Pounding the table. Can you hear this right now? There. Yes. You hear what this is? This is me pounding the table. Joe Williams is so awesome. We gotta get Joe Williams. Oh, we'll never, we're going to the Super Bowl. We just need to get Joe Williams. Fuck Joe Williams. He doesn't catch passes. Get the fuck out of here. Where was I? You still there, Kevin? <laughs> yes, I am. Yes, I am. My triggers are Joe Williams, Tyreek Hill. Was good we covered both of them then. And I lost every league badly, and I'll lose every league badly this year as well. Thanks a lot, Kevin. I think Brandon Cooks may have the worst ADP I've ever seen, quite honestly. You know, like the first miner to arrive at the San Francisco Gold Rush site, and he's panning for gold, and there's just giant nuggets just rolling down the hill. That's what this show was. Just gold, man. Gold! Stay away from Monte Ball. Draft the shit out of David Johnson. Oh, my God. All of you are idiots. It's June, okay?